Yes. Good morning, everyone, again. We are going to be in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. The book or the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. Before I give you the overview, I'd like just to read through the passage. It's sort of in the middle of the chapter. We sort of covered this uh, this last week as well. Um, But as I mentioned last week, this is sort of a part two of a two-part message. So verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 2 reads, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the seed, or in in this translation says the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, verse 17 He had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And so this is a uh, this very last verse sort of sums up the whole chapter of chapter 2, and that is that Jesus had to become a merciful and high priest in order to be able to stand in the gap for us, take away sin, and be that perpetual priest forever. So we are always covered by the blood of Christ. We are always forgiven. Now, if we go to the very beginning of the chapter, we spoke about this passage in great length, we, we actually mentioned that it seemed a little out of place at the time. And that was that they were neglecting so great a salvation. They were neglecting this salvation that God himself embodied a human so that he could sneak into the human race, so to speak, take on the sin of all those that believe on him, rise from the dead, but these people were not getting it. They were still attached to Judaism, and they were, again, I'm not faulting them. This was a confusing, hard time, I mean, for the church. They were just having a hard time and getting off on different doctrines and making up all these different things. And, and the writer here says, listen, Jesus is how God speaks to us now. Him alone. And this is such a great salvation. And, and we went through all that. We, we talked about how in the world to come, he has saved us for a very specific purpose. For the world, that's, that world to come is breaking in to our present world right now. And he is using us to pull, push forth that gospel of restoration, that gospel of salvation into all the world. And the, the writer is telling us in this chapter how this all comes about. So this whole chapter is about not neglecting this great salvation, which was motivated by a great love by God to save his people. 
But the one thing that we left out for today was this chunk of verses that I read today. Not, the, not just the last verse that we talked about, but this, these verses 14 through 16, where it says that since the children share in flesh and blood, he took on the same so that through death, he could take away the power of death He could render the devil powerless because he was using that to scare everyone with the fear of death all their lives, so much so that they could be considered in bondage or in slavery. And so this this great salvation would not be complete without this ultimate rescue from death. I remember being... 12, 13 years old in 1982, 83. And I believe around that time, maybe it was 1981, we were at war uh, with Beirut uh, in Lebanon. Um, And that was a very scary time for an 11-year-old kid, you know, growing up, because we were hearing a lot of talk about nuclear war. And that just really scared everybody to death. I was petrified watching the news and watching the different threats. And um, the real problem or the real uh, scary part of the whole entire battle was would one of the leaders unleash that atomic bomb again? Would they unleash disaster over the world? Nowadays, we worry about, thankfully, that did not happen. Nowadays, we worry about the same thing. But now we have these biological weapons that are terrifying. I think that the most terrifying weapon that most criminals are afraid of is the weapon of the video camera that everybody has now. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, that's a weapon. You pull your video camera out and people all of a sudden stop doing what they're doing or they feel like they're being watched or, or they're, they're going to do less crime. It's a very big weapon for uh, when we used to go out and street preach. When somebody would come up, you're not allowed to do this here. Oh, really? Would you just mind saying that on video? No, I'm not saying anything. See you later. Goodbye. You know, Pull that out, right? There's lots of different weapons that they, we use, not just military weapons. There's other types of weapons as well. The most terrifying weapon, I believe, right now in the history of where, in our time in history, all the way back to the history of mankind, is the the weapon of sin. Now, the devil used that weapon to bring it into the world, to bring it into God's creation, because it was not there in the beginning. Sin was not there in Adam and Eve's time in the garden. Man, Adam and Eve at that time was born with a clean slate. But the devil came in and persuaded Adam and Eve to sin. And when they did, he knew that he had just, when one swift punch, created the most powerful weapon that he ever could come up with against God, the holy creator God. Elohim, Jehovah, Yahweh. How, what, what did he do? He wiped out Adam's headship. Okay, not physical head, but Adam was under God, obeying God. The devil came in and Adam obeyed him. He ate. And that sin 
now put the whole entire human race under the headship of Adam, which ultimately before, behind that was that headship of Satan, of the devil. He usurped that authority in the garden from mankind. Now, when you think about sin, the, probably the first thing you think about is, well, I'm violating God's command. I'm missing the mark is what it means in the Greek. But sin is so much more than that. When you honestly, truly can understand who God is, sin is much more terrifying than what we just say it to be. Oh, it's missing the mark. You know, I'm, I, I've, I've sinned, so I have to ask God to for, for forgiveness. And all of that stuff, it, it, it works. It's in the scheme of things. But when we understand how purely holy God is, and understand that sin is not anywhere to be found in the presence of God, nor is sin anywhere to be found in God himself. It's not in God's thoughts as it relates to motive. It's anti-God. It's out of his character, in his existence. And when Satan brought that in, sin into the world, what he ultimately did is he introduced a, a destructive power into God's creation. He introduced a destructive power that could never, because of God's justice, be taken out or wiped out or paid for or, or even ransomed without the life of the person who sinned. That's the only way that sin could be eradicated through the death of that person. When that person dies, that sin pretty much is now that person's death will pay for their own sin outside of Christ. Of course, I'm talking about, but I'm talking about in the mindset of Satan at the time. It was literally going to separate humanity forever from God. And not only that, cause ultimate destruction forever for humanity because they live forever. We live forever one way or another. And Satan knew that he had destroyed God's creation with corruption. God's creation now in Romans 8, 24-ish there talks about sin coming into the world and corrupting even the creation where the creation itself groans like childbirth pains. It's groaning for that new age, the new creation to come in because it was, it was subject to uh, futility, the Bible says. God subjected it to it. <clears throat> sin is devastating to our, to also from the side of God. It's obviously devastating to him. But for us, it's even more visibly devastating. When you embark in sin, you're not just violating God's law. You're not just um, taking... Uh, of yourself and basically thumbing your nose at God saying, I'm going to do what I want, not what you want. But when you sin, and this is why God hates it so much, it starts to destroy your life. The wages of sin is death. Now we always think, well, yeah, eternal death, but no, eternal death starts right now. Just like eternal life starts right now if you believe in Christ. So as you sin, when you partake in sin, you are ultimately leading and contributing towards 
something that's not life, something that's towards death. That's why as a Christian, it doesn't make any sense at all in the Christian life to have sin. Because you are made a new creature living in God's kingdom where there will ultimately be no sin. And he wants us to live as if we're living in that kingdom now, live holy lives, live for him. But what we do is we sin, we put all that on hold, and we sort of go backwards. And we go back towards the corruption again that we've already been delivered from. And God just sort of sits there and waits. We'll talk about this more when we get into Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10, where it talks about this, when how can you sin and keep sinning over and over and over again when it, when it was referred to the blood of, the, of putting blood on the altar and sacrificing for sins. If you keep doing that, he was saying to the Jewish person, there's going to be no sacrifice for sin left for you. You're re-crucifying the Son of God. And so we'll get to that now. We'll get to that then, but it's the same essence. Sin takes us backwards when it comes to the kingdom of God. It ultimately destroys life. The wages of sin is death. It destroys life. And so if sin is the most terrifying weapon, the most terrifying threat from that weapon like a nuclear bomb is a terrifying weapon, but we don't care about the bomb. We care about the outcome of when that bomb goes off. And so the most terrifying threat of sin is death. And it says that the curse of death was put on man and on earth. Of course, the earth was subject to corruption. Man was subject to death. The authority of over the earth was given to the devil, and the whole world lies. It says, John, 1 John says this in 5.19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. What they mean is in the power, under the power of that looming, that looming pending doom of death, and the power of sin that infuses into us and causes us to continue to want it more and more and more. And so this is what causes us to be pushed away from God. Even as Christians, when we, when we start to sin, we're going in the complete opposite direction of the current. We're swimming against the tide. And we ultimately get tired and God begins to save us. <clears throat> we also, it says here that, I thought it was very interesting where he said that Jesus came to render powerless the devil who has the power of death, like we just explained, but also that people are, they have the fear of death. They're subject to this slavery all their life. The fear of death. And now I know some people, like a friend of mine from when he, I shouldn't say a friend, an acquaintance of mine, who is really into mountain climbing and uh, he lives out in Colorado and he's very good at it. I mean, he's, he's, uh, and teaches people all this. Ever since his child was a, uh, an infant, he would strap him on his back and climb mountains with this kid. And at like five, six years old, I know, I'm like, he, this kid's mountain climbing, right? He had no fear. So a lot of people can overcome fears, like fears of heights, and that's types of fear with getting acclimated to it. 
But every one of us carries that innate fear of death where we are constantly programmed to survive. That's even how our body works. We're constantly trying to survive. So we have this fear of death. But why do we really fear death? Most important, I think, is the fear of the unknown. Most people have no idea what's going to happen when they die. Others are, are, are afraid of the pain that's going to be associated with death. When I die, am I going to die a painful death? Am I going to die a quick death? I want to die in my sleep. We think about all these different things. For me, I know the biggest fear for death for me is the people that I'll leave behind, my friends, my family members. Are they going to be taken care of and all these other things? Obviously, we have to trust the Lord. But I believe the number one thing is people fear death because of the pain and the unknown. But as Christians, we have a different explanation for death. But still, we fear it. And still, we know that it, we see it all around us. And we see that the devil had control, has control over it to an extent. Still, we still see death happening. We still see bad things happening. Evil, sin, all these different things. So what's the solution to this? Why is this writer bringing this in here, talking about the fear of death, talking about the power of death? Well, because it is one of the most important aspects of what the gospel truly does. One of the most important visible aspects or visible results that we could see from the gospel is the defeat of sin and death. And now, it's not the actual visible defeat, like we could turn on the TV and watch the, the war going on or a movie, oh look, the sin and evil is defeated. But in the gospel, the main brunt of the gospel, the main thing that the gospel came up against was sin, evil, and death. That was the big confrontation. And so death obviously is the end of life. Death is the end, the complete end of life. So it just makes sense that the only thing that would be able to defeat that death is the ultimate force, for lack of a better way to say, of life. You see, sin <clears throat> deserves death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But sin isn't just this like again, it's, it, to God, it's something that has to be eradicated. So it's almost that sin is, or death isn't an arbitrary punishment that God has decided. Death is the necessary requirement and punishment for sin. Death is. It can be no other way. Because it cannot be in the presence of God. It cannot be in God's kingdom. And it cannot be in God's people. It cannot be. And what our writer here is saying is that Christ entered the human race, and I said, hinted at it before, that it was almost, he snuck into it. Because again, this is, this is not something that was made obvious to the powers in the spiritual realm. The gospel was a mystery. So he sneaks into the human race not for any other reason so that he can experience death 
Because that is what ultimately had to happen for the gospel to be good news. And that simply means that he conquered death through the only way that we are called to do it as we build for the kingdom, as we live for the Christian life. And that is to build, and I'm sorry, to defeat death through life, to defeat it through love. He eradicated death. Jesus eradicated death. <clears throat> Everything that has to do with death, sin, um, the sting of death, Jesus quenched. Now, how did he do that? Well, he did that very simply by coming into the world and having God take all of the sin that had to do with the law. Imagine the law of God, God's law from the time of Adam, which when he said that was the first law of God was in the garden. Okay, do not eat of that fruit of that tree. From the very first sin, death reigned. As it says in Romans 5, it reigned from Adam all the way till Moses. And then the law was brought in and that magnified sin even more. And again, the only way people could be freed from sin is if it, they themselves face death, the consequence, the punishment for it, which meant total separation from God forever. So Jesus comes through and not only does he take all of the sin from the very beginning of creation, but he takes all of the sin, every single law that had ever been broken of the Mosaic law of the old covenant. He took all of that and he placed it on Christ. Because again, where would sin be most attracted to? Well, Jesus was innocent. Jesus was the, he was the, he was the pure, spotless, innocent lamb of God. And Jesus attracted that sin to himself on the cross. God put it all upon him, the innocent lamb, and Satan thinking he is going to wipe out this purified, so-called purified Messiah, now he is going to suffer, and now he is going to die. And Satan says, I've won again. I did it again. I did it in the garden. I introduced sin, and that brought death in. And now you sent your Savior that you've been talking about the whole time, this Messiah, and guess what? I defeated him, maybe not with sin, but I defeated him with death. But once Jesus entered that realm of death, little did Satan know that this was the ultimate power of life. Jesus literally exhausted the power of sin. Jesus literally exhausted the power of death. All of its force was placed upon him at the cross. All of its all of the disgusting guilt, everything was just full force. Every single bomb was pointed right to the target. They were unleashing it until there was no more ammunition left. And Jesus stood victorious because he is love. Amen. Yes, and he is life. And now what happened? He rendered him powerless. You see, Jesus, because sin and evil did the very worst that it could ever do at the cross, and death did its absolute best, because again, they destroyed Jesus' body. 
They whipped him. They, they mangled him. They put the crown of thorns on. They nailed him to a cross. Horrible, horrible sin. That's what they did. Sin did its worst. Evil was at its top moment right there. It, it, the, the very worst thing in the ever of history of mankind and ever will be was the Son of God getting crucified. That was the most evil thing that ever happened. And it unleashed everything. They both failed. They exhausted that power. So this wasn't Jesus versus the devil. This was Jesus going in and wiping out the devil. This wasn't even really a battle. Jesus went in head on with a full force legal payment to free the captives, to free every single person from what? From death. Because where there is no sin, there is no death. He took away our sin, past, present, future. Therefore, he's taken away the power of death over you. What does it say? The, the sin is the sting of death. That's the fear. Sin is the sting of death. So when a non-believer passes into eternity through whatever passageway they go into that, into that realm, there's a sting. They don't know Christ. They are separated from God. There's a sting of that is what Satan needed right there, that sting. So he brought sin in. It caused death. The wages of sin is death. Everybody who now dies, they go through this painful sting and separation from God, but not the people of God. They don't have that sting of death any longer. That sting is gone. First John 3, 8, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, people, listen, to destroy the works of the devil. Do you believe the devil has a target on you? I'm not trying to get all, you know, fire and brimstone, Bible thumping, old fundamentalist, but, uh, but I am a little bit. Because a lot of us think about the devil and we underestimate the spiritual battle that we're going through. But he has a target on you. He, has a, he knows you better than anybody else in existence other than God. And other than maybe the, the, the whatever team he has, I don't know how it works. But he knows all your weaknesses. He knows all your fears. He knows all of your easy little ways to get you to stumble. He knows all of your weak points. And God is saying to you, Jesus destroyed the work of the devil. Stop being afraid. My grace is sufficient for you. I've covered you in the blood. I've went through death for this. So why are you afraid? I've defeated him. But, but Lord, he still, he still tantalized me. I know, but that's you're enrolled in my army now and you need to take a stand and fight. Well, how, Lord? Through love, through the gospel, through prayer to me, through knowing that you have the victory, through knowing that you're not going to live with guilt of your sin, you're going to move on and you're going to repent and move on and repent and move on. And then the devil, Peter says, will flee from you when you do that. He goes because he knows he has no hold. And he knows that there will be that day where the beast, the false prophet, the devil will be thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 20.10. All of the things that are associated with evil will be thrown in. 
And no longer does the devil have the key to death. But Jesus says, Revelation 1.8, I have the keys of death and of Hades. So the author of life, Jesus, it says it here, that, he, that, that God perfected the author of their salvation, us, through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are from one Father. We talked about this last week. So that means your sanctification, your being made right, your being set apart is going to contain and it's going to have suffering mixed into it. Just know that. And and stand firm when that happens. That's how God, just as God made complete Jesus, he didn't perfect Jesus from a moral perspective. He was perfect, but Jesus had to go through what he had to go through to eradicate and pay for the the sin, to take the punishment that we deserved. And he was made that perfect high priest through suffering. And now we will be made that perfect Christian through suffering because our sanctification is ultimately going to lead to glorification fully where there will be no more sin and no more effect of sin in your life. And so what was happening here is that Israel, again, was waiting for what I'm talking about right now. They were waiting for this deliverance. They were waiting for the new age to begin. They were waiting for the new covenant that God promised. The old covenant, they were under the old covenant miserable because what? They were still under that punishment, that cloud of, of committing adultery against God, turning away from him, sinning against him. They had the death sentence. They were in exile. But they knew that God was going to do what he promised and come and save them and send them a redeemer, send them a Messiah. And then the new covenant would begin. And the only way the new covenant can begin is through death. See, a testament, a will and testament can only be effective when the person dies. So Jesus had to come and die in order for that new covenant to be lodged. And the writer's telling them, you are living now in this new covenant. You're waiting for this forgiveness. Now the new age has begun. Be the new age people through Christ. Be the new covenant people through Christ. And that's what he's trying to say. So to be released from sin and death is to be, is, is to be forgiven. And that's what Jesus did at the cross. You see, so when you're forgiven of your sins, death has no more hold against you either because death is the penalty of sin. So you're forgiven of your sins. That means you're for, you're, you're, the, the, the sentence is no longer death. The sentence now is life. And so when you encounter this, when you leave this age and move into the next world through death, there's going to be no sting. God is going to carry you through somehow, some way. I don't know how it's going to be. I'm not going to try to speculate and make it seem like some movie I watched somewhere. But I'm trying to tell you that Jesus promises that it will be like we don't even die. That's what he says. So we don't have to fear death. We don't have to worry about leaving people behind. God's got that covered. We don't have to worry about the unknown about death. We know what's waiting for us. 
We don't have to worry about pain and suffering on that other side because we will not have that. We will be present with the Lord. And because of all this, because of Jesus doing all this, he has now launched the new covenant, which now the old creation that's been, that's been being chewed away. See, death is anti-creation. Remember that. Sin is anti-creation. Where sin goes and death goes, it, it destroys God's creation. That's why it's subject to futility. That's why it's groaning, even our, the creation. But it, it goes with humans too. Now Jesus, we always say this, he reversed that curse of death. But it's really, he reversed the curse of anti-creation. And now he has reinstituted new creation. He has instituted new creation. And now we do the same thing in our life. When you leave here today and you exercise love, you are building towards that new creation and you are going and eradicating that death of anti-creation. When you choose love other than um, uh, selfishness or, and you choose uh, not sin, but you choose to be righteous, you choose the, the, to do this, love rather than revenge, you choose to restore difficult relationships, not avoid them and run away from them, but you're choosing to restore rather than even abandon. When you do all these things, you're building up for the things of God, not taking away. But all the way up until this point, before Jesus did this, it was all about taking away. It was all about decreation. It was all going down. And now it all goes up. Now, <clears throat> The problem with all this, and I'll close with this, is that we try to defeat this death on our own by nature. This is what we, this is really what the craze is right now going on in our world with trying to uh, prevent aging, trying to reverse the aging process. And obviously there's nothing wrong with being healthy and doing all that, you know, uh, stuff within reason, I guess. It's not what I'm trying to trying to talk about here, but what, what, what I'm trying to talk about is this defeat of death. I, I found this one article that says that people are, are actually right now trying to do head transplants to new bodies to defeat death. So when you come to die, depending if your body is not doing well or your brain isn't doing well, you could just move that over to a new body. Um, there's blood transfusions from teenagers harvesting the blood of teens in the hope of achieving eternal youth. Eight grand a pop for a blood transfusion from a, a teenager that's going to help you potentially live longer. My favorite one here was uh, this Russian internet millionaire guy, Tristan Quinn. He's going to teach us how to upload our consciousness to the cloud. So that way we could download ourselves constantly up until our death up into a computer, and we could live forever. So I know these are some extraordinary, crazy circumstances, but I just want you to remember this. It's going to come. We can't defeat it. But we have defeated the power of it. And so don't be afraid of it. And tell all these people, Tristan and all them, send them Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now let's pray.
Father, thank you for sending us Jesus for eternal life, Lord. Lord, we know that living longer isn't the answer, but the quality of life that we live now in Christ, whatever it is that our lot is in life, Lord, whether you've blessed us physically, you haven't blessed us physically, or you've blessed us financially, or you haven't, or whatever the case may be, Lord, there's nothing that compares. Teach us this, Lord, nothing that compares to having the knowledge of you and knowing that we've, we've, we've have victory in this life by choosing you. And we not only can overcome the evil one, but we can overcome sin and death. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.